Okay, well, good morning. My name's Chris, and I'm one of the elders from Grace Church in Chichester. And uh, I've had a, a great privilege, actually, to uh, sort of learn and under Steve over the last sort of 10 years whilst he's been in Chichester. And uh, in, uh, well, from kind of now, really, he's in Woking and, and leading there. And uh, I just, hey, isn't it good? Before, just before we get started, um, I just want to make sure we're in the right place. Gracefield, discipleship. But Steve's going to be speaking. Um, if you're in the wrong place and now's your time to move and he won't be offended, I'll just laugh. But uh, if, you're, if you're in the right place, that's brilliant. And uh, we've got a great vision, hasn't we? haven't we? I was commissioned to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. And uh, if we're going to do that, then we've got to be sure of what we hope for. And so we've got the four blocks S-U-R-E, Send, Unify, Release, Equip. This, this seminar and these series of seminars today and tomorrow that Steve's doing are in the Equip block. And uh, we all need to be equipped, don't we? Whether we're single parents, whether we're married with kids, whether we're at university, we need to be equipped to go and share the, uh, the good news of Jesus well, don't we? And, and today we're going to be looking at is it about rules? Are we making people to follow rules? Or are we looking to make people follow Jesus? And so uh, Steve's going to be speaking to us. Can we give him a massive round of applause for welcoming? Thank you, Chris. Uh, okay. Um, I'm aware we're slightly full, which is a good thing. If you're having trouble hearing me, I just want to check. Can you hear me in the tent? Yeah. What about out the back? Right. So you, you probably hear enough to work out what I'm saying. Here's what I'm going to say for the last time. There is space down the front that we could probably fit about 10 to 15 people here and 10 to 15 people here. If you don't mind sitting on the floor and then you will hear me, I promise to stand still and not pace and uh, then you won't get trodden on. And so if you're willing to be a little bit less British and come and pack in, fill up the middle aisle, then I think we can do this and everyone can hear. So I'm just going to give you one minute if you want to do that. Just come and squash in. And uh, all I ask is we reserve this one seat here. My wife has promised me she's bringing me a coffee. Um, so uh, that's great. So there you go. Anyone else wants to do it? There really is. There's more room. And that way I don't want anyone to not be able to hear. That's great. Okay, right, let's crack on then. First of all, thanks for coming. Uh, as Chris has said, my name's Steve Petch. I'm uh, a, the leader now at the Coin Church in Woking, or kind of from the 1st of September will be. Before that, I've been uh, busy at Grace Church. We, uh, we planted Grace Church 11 years ago. It's good to see some of my Grace Church people here. Welcome. Good to see you. Um, and uh, that's, that's gone well. We're based in Chichester, and we've planted congregations into Bognor and Midhurst as well. So uh, God has really, really blessed us. What I want to do today, I'm going to talk for a bit, then we're going to have some testimony as well from somebody, and uh, then hopefully there should be some space for a bit of Q&A, some prayer, uh, if it gets messy, messy at the end. Is that all right? We can, we'll cope, can't we? That's good. So my title of, of this uh, seminar series, we're doing two, is called The Difference That Grace Makes. And what I wrote in the handbook book was this. That we wanted to look at that important question, are we making genuine disciples of Jesus or are we teaching people to follow a set of Christian rules? And I think this is a really crucial question that has been exercising my thoughts because they are definitely not the same thing. That laying down rules for people to follow or try and follow or telling people to just try harder 
may actually produce some good results for a short season, but over the long run does not produce followers of Jesus. And I've got a theory that sometimes this is why we have lost people to our churches, because they couldn't keep up with the pressure of following man-made rules that we were putting on them rather than because somehow they'd lost faith in Christ along the way. So let's unpack that together. Today I want to look at grace-filled discipleship and then tomorrow I want to look at grace and leadership and each day we'll stand alone but I'd encourage you to come back because they, they do work together as well. Let's start with the Bible. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, words, words you'll be very familiar with, I imagine. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who's familiar with those words? Let me a show of hands. Okay, that's, that's called the Great Commission. And we know those words. We speak about them. Jesus told us, let's go and make disciples, go to all the nations, baptize people, teach them to obey. And as Christians, we know we have this calling from Jesus to make disciples. And you may well have heard a sermon that says something like this that the Great Commission is about much more than leading people to pray a prayer of commitment. You heard that kind of thing? So very important that people pray a prayer of commitment or, or give their life to Christ in some way. But the Great Commission tells us to teach people to follow Jesus, that it's about discipleship. And that's a whole life thing, not just an emotional response in a meeting. Have you ever heard that kind of thing preached or taught? Okay. And of course, that's true. But I, this question I've found myself considering, it's really exercised me. Are we actually making genuine disciples of Jesus or have we interpreted teach them to obey as here are the rules, follow them? Because discipleship needs to be a really important whole life thing. And I would suggest that the difference between making a disciple who follows Jesus and telling someone the rules is the difference that grace makes, which is why I titled this, this, these two titles out, The Difference That Grace Makes. So to get you thinking, I want to pose a question to you that was posed to me. I, I was at church, it was Sunday morning, I had preached, I had finished, and I was approached by a man in his 40s, a fairly recent convert who came from the background of being a Jehovah's Witness. He'd come to Christ, we'd baptised him. This was his question. He says to me, so, Steve, what are the rules about paintball? <laughs> no one's ever asked me that one before. So let me throw it out there. How would you respond to that question? Craig, how would you respond to that question? What are the rules about paintball? We don't have one. We don't have one. That's a suggestion. Nigel, what might you have said? No, no, no paintball. <laughs> no paintball. I, any other suggestions across the room? Who's got a loud voice? James. Yeah, own up when you've been hit. That's definitely one of the rules about paintball, isn't it? Any others? Yeah, you'll still get shot. If you put your hand up and walk in, you'll still get shot. Yes, you, people like me do that. So, possible responses I thought of. Um, things like this. Okay, are we done? That's great. You all seen it down there? Anyone want to make the walk of shame? No? Okay. There we go. That's oh, sorry, Chris. Okay. 
I thought possible responses to, uh, to this would have been things like, don't aim for the head, hit them more than they hit you, don't shoot, shoot at dog walkers who have strayed down the wrong path. <laughs> Thing is, none of that, none of that was what he wanted to know. This is the reality. I questioned him. He has a teenage son. His teenage son will not go anywhere near church. He's been turned off by his Jehovah's Witness upbringing. Won't touch it. But if someone wanted to play paintball, should he, as a Christian parent, allow his child to play paintball? Is it okay? And it came down to a teaching from the Jehovah's Witness background that says this. The Bible says, God will make wars to cease. Therefore, no true believer will ever be involved in anything that is related to or simulates war in any way. Therefore, for the Jehovah's Witness, paintball is out. But is it now allowed as a Christian? What's the rule? Apparently, he went on to tell me that for the same reason, chess is also banned for most Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, anyone from that background can relate? I wonder. Is there anyone here who's come out of that background? Uh, can you relate to any of this? Okay, see, it's not been your experience. It's, not yeah, it's been a long time. Long time, okay. My stepmom used to take me. Okay. A long time ago. Yeah. Yep. No birthdays, no Christmas. All outside of the rules. Got to follow the rules. Now, this guy came from a context where his relationship with God was governed by a set of rules. If I follow the rules, I will earn credit and be acceptable to God. If I break the rules, I will be unacceptable to God. And of course, human beings, we love a good set of rules. Of course we love a good set of rules. Let's be honest, often we love a good set of rules far more than we love God. So when we have rules, we can do things. When we've got rules, we can assess how am I doing against the rules? We can also assess how are you doing against the rules and we can decide if I'm holier than you are. We can judge others really nicely. Rules are great. They're a good thing for assessing our spiritual performance, aren't they? We can, we can judge by external appearances. If I've got rules, I can look at the external appearance and I can decide whether you're doing the right thing or not, whether you're holy or not. It, it saves us needing to understand anybody's heart or passion or calling or motivation. I can just apply the rule. I don't need to know anything about you. I can just apply the external rule. If I've got rules, I don't have to think about context. I don't have to be discerning. I, I just need to be consistent in my rigid application of this set of rules. And finally, if I've got a set of rules, it saves me from having to listen to God for myself. They're a great alternative to having to have a personal relationship with God or to read the Bible or to listen to the Holy Spirit or to pray for wisdom or for discernment. I just follow the rules. I tell you what, one point to note, one part of good discipleship has to include helping people to hear from God. Can I just say that good discipleship includes helping people to hear from God for themselves. A real example a friend of mine who, who leads a, a New Frontiers church told me happened in his church. Uh, this is rule following and how it all went wrong. Okay, so he, he had a lovely young lady came along to the church, uh, connected through uh, through to do with children's work and, and, and uh, toddlers. This young lady with kids came to faith in Jesus. That was exciting. He was dead excited. And uh, her situation in life was this. She was uh, uh, living with a guy who she'd been with for many years. They had children together. They were not married. 
And uh, here, here's what happened. He found her and spoke to her on the point at which she was about to leave the church. She was going. She was out the door. And he sat her down and said, what he- what's gone on here? What's the problem? And here's how it went. First of all, she found that everybody in the church assumed that she was married. She wasn't married to the guy, but they would talk to her about her husband. And every time she kept having to say, we're not married. Uh, we've just been together a number of years. We're not married. So her first issue was the assumption, having got saved out of our culture, that she was married. But then what happened was this. When people discovered that she wasn't married, now we're talking about people in the church and in small groups, she had friends that she'd made start to say to her, oh, well, uh, obviously, you, you, you need to get married. Now, the guy's not a Christian, but she'd need to get married. So she, she thought about this, and he wasn't very keen on getting married. So she went and spoke to some other friends in the church and said, like, they're telling me I ought to get married, what, and he doesn't want to. What do I do? They said, oh, no, you can't, you can't get married. You'll have to leave him. After all, he doesn't want to get married. You'll have to leave him. So he said, oh, okay, so now what, what's the problem? Now I've got to leave him. I've been with this guy for years. Now I've been told I have to leave him because he doesn't want to get married. So she, she started chatting this through at home. And you can imagine this impact that this is having on her non-Christian husband, who by now, uh, sorry, guy she's living with, who by now is beginning to absolutely love the church for what they're doing to his relationship and his children. However, he says, well, maybe I could marry you. She goes back to her friends at church saying he's thinking maybe he will marry me. Oh, no, says another friend. Can't marry him because he's not a Christian. Okay, so you start, can you start to see where this is going? He's not a Christian. But no, no, it's all right, because the other group of friends weighed in and said, no, you can marry him. It's not actually uh, against the rules to marry a guy that's not a Christian, but as a church, we couldn't be involved or help in any way, so you're on your own. They'd applied the rules correctly, yeah? We all know the rules. That's the rules. What's the Christian rules? Got to be married. That's it. The only valid situation for any relationship that's sexual, you've got to be husband and wife married together. There's nothing else. Those are the rules. All they're trying to do is apply the rules. And I think this sort of situation in all sorts of walks of life happens day after day. We work hard to win a convert to Christ and we lose them because we forget to apply anything to do with grace or discernment. And in this case, nothing to do with the church leaders. These are just church members applying the rules. Can you see how that went very, very wrong? And fortunately, my friend Alan was able to save that situation and, uh, and will carry on working. As far as I know, that guy is not yet a Christian and probably considers the church to be pretty toxic to his relationship. I wonder if you've come across scenarios like that. I wonder if you've been on the end of a scenario like that. I would suggest that that was not grace-filled discipleship in any way at all. Now, going back to my Jehovah's Witness friend, you might think his question was a strange one, but as a church pastor, I've been asked questions like that a lot. Questions like this, really? We are feeling hard up. Is it okay if we don't tithe at the moment? Um, Is it okay for me to go and watch that particular film at the cinema? Is it okay to go and listen to that particular band? I know one or two of their songs are dodgy, but I like them. Can I go and see them? Am I allowed to? Do I have to go to church on Christmas Day? Um, my family don't want me to. Is it okay? How far can I go physically with my girlfriend? Uh, do you believe that other church slash denomination are really Christians because they've got a few things different to us? Uh, is it okay to go to Tesco on a Sunday? Christians love to know the rules. What are the rules? I get asked these things all the time. I've been, uh, these are real examples I've given you. I've been asked all of those. They are real examples. And I would just suggest all they are are different versions of the paintball question. 
It's the same question in a different guise. And sometimes when people are asking these questions, what they're really asking is, what are, what are the rules of Christianity? Or let me put it differently, what can I get away with and still be acceptable to God? And I'd suggest to you there is a problem, and it's this. Uh, if you're ever going to write anything down from this seminar, this is the quote I would ask you to write down. It's only my own, but this, this is it. Get this. Following a set of Christian rules is not a route to a relationship with God. It is an alternative to a relationship with God. All right, I wanted to say that again for you. Following a set of Christian rules is not a route to a relationship with God. It is an alternative to a relationship with God. I mean, one Galatians 2.21, Paul said this, If keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Say that again. If keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. So I say it once more. All right, because this is going to be an issue for some people. Following a set of Christian rules is not a a route to a relationship with God. It is an alternative to a relationship with God. Let me just ask you another question. And I just want you to answer it in your own head. And the question is this. um, What kind of relationship do you think God seeks with you? Just answer it in your own head. What kind of relationship do do you believe God seeks with you? Okay, so we're talking about relationship with God. See, my, my experience comes down to this. I, people who've been around church for a while can start to slip into a kind of thinking that goes something like this. Are you ready for an ouch moment? This, this, this is going to hit home for some of you, I'm sure. The kind of relationship God wants with you. Ready? God wants me to be a good person. God wants me to believe certain things are true. And God would really like me to try hard to develop some feelings of affection towards him. Uh, That's how many Christians live. Uh, And I I know, because I've shared this in enough context to know that when I say that, there there will be people in the room going, ouch, right now. Uh, And because the first time someone said that to me, I went, ouch. And, And then my wife, who didn't turn up and take this chair, I noticed. I mean, what? no coffee, what's that about? See, uh, I was, hey, I saved you a chair. <laughs> There's my wife. Isn't she gorgeous? Um, so, uh, <laughs> but what sort of relationship does God want? God wants me to be good. God wants me to believe certain things. God wants me to try hard to develop some feelings of affection towards him. My friends, if that is how you are viewing your relationship with God, and I'm not saying you've necessarily said it like that, but maybe I'm describing something deep down, I would suggest there is a lot more about relationship with God that you need to learn. You see, I, I, and forgive me if you've heard this before, but really briefly, I grew up in a church context, not Jehovah's Witness one, but I grew up in a church context where rules were really, really important. I became a Christian when I was 10. We were taken to church as kids um, by my parents who, you know, they don't go to church, but they took us as kids to church. And one day I heard the gospel and I, I knew I was a sinner who needed forgiveness. I gave my life to Christ. And I was very, very serious at 10 and I tried to follow Jesus and I believed he died for me and I believed he rose to life again. I believe I needed to follow him and I really tried. And then I went to church where I learned the rules to live like a Christian. Jesus died for us on the cross. 
And now we keep God happy by living according to the rules. That's how I understood it. And the rules were not swearing, not shopping or working on a Sunday, dressing smartly when you went to church because you're coming into the presence of the king, giving 10%, never getting drunk, not stealing, not fighting, not looking at girls, never going to a pub, having a quiet time every day, having a bad day. You didn't do your quiet time, did you? If you'd done your quiet time properly, you'd be having a good day. Anytime you have a bad day, you haven't done your quiet time properly. Follow the rules because Jesus might have died for you but God is still pretty angry with a worm like you so you'd better follow the rules keep him happy or you might end up in hell because you weren't good enough and you treated Jesus badly that's why what I understood that's what I grew up with I mean you can imagine what the message of grace was like can anyone else relate to that experience of growing up in church is that okay quite a lot of hands I hope it's not your current experience now I lived with a constant sense of failure. I was fairly sure I was doomed to hell and was probably worse than my non-Christian friends because after all, I knew better. And do you know what? Even if you come from a context where you're convinced of once saved, always saved, that kind of legalism will still rob you of the joy of a relationship with God as a father. Big advantage of that kind of church background? I read my Bible. Had to. Got to keep God happy. Read the Bible. I can remember reading Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not by works, so no one can boast. And I can remember lights going on in my head, thinking, if that is true... It seems to imply that I'm saved entirely by what Jesus did. His death, his resurrection. It seems to imply that my faith and my salvation is entirely a work of God and a free gift of God. And and do you know what? I was amazed. And it meant my human effort didn't add anything to it. And I also quickly realized if I'd understood it right, then what we did as a church, the way we related to God, it would be completely different. We wouldn't be the way we were. We wouldn't treat one another the way we treated one another. I'll tell you what, it took me several years in a complete change of church to begin to actually understand that those things were true. No one had ever taught me the grace of God. But I want you to understand something. Listen, if you are in Jesus, grace covers everything. The sin that you've done in the past, the stuff you struggle with now, the sin for the future, it is all paid for by Jesus. You can't add to your salvation, you can't take away from it, which is why Romans 8 verse 1 can say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? So my friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand that. So how can I tell then if I am living a life that's based on rules rather than relationship with God let me give you a quick diagnostic test for yourself let's start with yourself and then we'll we'll talk about how to help others here's some tests number one you will lack joy in your life okay so think about that be a lack of joy in your life number two you'll probably lack freedom in worship can't quite let go just because because that thing those things keep coming back to me lack of lack of freedom in worship how about this you've never been quite sure about your own salvation you hope, you hope it's okay. You, hope it, you really hope it's okay, but you're not sure. You're not sure. And if you ask, if that's you, why aren't you sure? Did, did Jesus not do enough for you? Was it, was it not good enough? Did his death cover other people's sins but not yours? Come on, just think it, think it through. Jesus covers it all. Uh, another diagnostic test. You're quick to criticize other believers or churches, especially if you find a theological difference or nuance. Uh, Another one, you believe theoretically that God loves you, 
but you doubt he actually likes you. You don't care much about injustice or oppression in the world. I mean, after all, they deserve it. It's all going to burn. What do I care? I'll give you one more. Your activities, okay, catch this one, ouch moment. Your activities are almost exclusively Christian activities done with other Christians. Those, those would be some diagnostic testers to, to think through. Now, in a minute, we, we'll just apply this to discipleship, but let's help ourselves first and come back to that question. What kind of relationship do you believe that God seeks with you God wants me to be good, wants me to believe certain things, wants me to develop feelings of affection towards him. If that's you, that you've got so much more to learn about friendship with God. And maybe you need to know more about the difference grace makes. Let's, let's just pause for a moment where you are. I want us to pray. Is that okay? Just, let's just apply this to ourselves and then we'll talk about how to help others. So just wherever you are around the room, just take a moment. This is just to deal with you and God. Why don't you just close your eyes maybe if it helps you and... I want us, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I just encourage you in your heart to, to pray along, and maybe the Holy Spirit will just come and meet with you. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and, and touch lives all across this area? Spirit of God, thank you that you are here with us. Lord, I, I pray that, that where what's been spoken so far has hit home, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to catch the seed that you've sown, and may it bear good fruit. Lord, I pray that you would forgive each one of us for any part of our life where we've been trying to keep you happy by following the rules instead of walking in loving friendship with you. Lord, forgive me where I've been relying on my own goodness instead of your perfect holiness. And Jesus, right now today, I, I commit myself to walk in your grace. Lord, I believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I believe that you have saved me. Thank you that I am in you. Thank you, Lord, that it is by grace I've been saved through faith. And that even that faith wasn't mine, Lord. It was a gift of God. Thank you, Lord. I've got nothing to boast in. I don't rely on my own goodness at all. Lord, I completely commit myself afresh to trusting you. Lord, forgive me where I've just been trying to follow the rules and keep you happy and, uh, and hoping I'm, I'm doing enough. Lord, instead I say today I'm going to trust entirely to your goodness and what you've done. And Lord, I pray you'd help me by your spirit now to live a life that is pleasing to you. Amen. I just, uh, I mean, we, we could have just stopped there and go into ministry, but I, I want to do what it says on the tin in this seminar and talk about grace-filled discipleship, okay? So here's the thing. If you're responsible for helping someone to grow in their Christian faith in any way at all, then you're responsible for some of their discipleship. So whether you are a church leader or a small group leader or a ministry leader or a children's or youth leader or a parent or a spouse or a grandparent or a friend or a next door neighbor or a colleague, any of those, you've got a part to play in helping your fellow Christians to mature. So I'm going to guess that's all of us. We've all got a part to play in this. So consider for a moment, are we pointing people to the right place? Are we pointing them to Jesus and who they are in him? Or are, we, or are we teaching them, or even modelling to them, to live by a set of rules? Now, just worth saying, sometimes people love a set of rules. People want us to tell them the rules. Uh, and pe people will ask us the paintball question, or the equivalents of it, uh, and many others we've listed earlier. And they do it, they want clear rules. And the reason they want clear rules is this. Firstly, they don't feel confident in their own relationship with God. 
So have I got this right? There can be a fear, especially if they're a newer Christian. Have I got this right? I'm nervous. Tell me if this is okay. A second reason can be this, that they feel convicted by the Holy Spirit about something in their life. And what they really want is for you to say, that thing is okay. So they can then ignore their conscience. So that, that can be a real issue. Is it all right to... They already know. God's already... They're raising it because the Holy Spirit's already prodding their conscience into an area. They're asking you to bypass that. And they want someone else to blame. Another reason people ask, the third one, is they just don't know their Bible. And they haven't spent time praying. So you've become the alternative to them relating to God. Now, sometimes, of course, to those kind of questions, we need to give clear answers. Sometimes people need some real basic discipleship direction especially new christians and the bible is clear on certain issues it really is and a new christian will need more help and direction that someone's been around for a while so i'm not saying that we don't need to confront we are told to speak the truth in love sometimes we need to teach to rebuke to correct that that's reality that's part of christian ministry so what do we do and how do we do it how do we handle the need to help people to mature as genuine followers of jesus including the need to bring direction and discipline sometimes without just loading rules on them here are some things i found helpful okay i'll give you and i'll go through them quickly because of time i want to get and we simpson's going to bring a testimony in a minute as well so here are seven things i found helpful number one ready understand grace yourself which is why i, I spent the first part really a good 50 percent of this explaining grace I hope you follow. that's why I, want, I wanted you first of all to understand grace for yourself it's foundational to the Christian life it can't be bolted on to the side of a faith that's really based on keeping God happy by following the rules okay so Genesis tells us book of Genesis that we will reproduce after our own kind so if you are a, a rule keeping person who kind of is afraid of God then anyone you disciple you're going to reproduce the same so get yourself sorted first get if you want to help others get straight First, I've got a friend who's been a Christian since Noah was a boy, and she came out of this sort of church background I did, and I've heard her say things like, oh, I just know I'm a bit legalistic, sometimes I can't help it, I'm just wired that way, it's my background. And I always say, no, you can help it, you need to repent, it doesn't help, stop adding to, you know, to, you can't mix law and grace. I, don't let yourself off, oh, it's just my background, there's nothing, oh, no, 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 you're rejecting the grace of God for something else. It's, it's a really important issue. Don't allow yourself to just embrace a little bit of legalism or you'll end up, what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 16, 6, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. I mean, they had the best of intentions, but ultimately rejected salvation through Christ because they wanted to have a little bit of the rules to follow. Does that make sense? There we go. Anyone else? Walk of shame. It's five, two, three for kids four to five. Okay. There we go. Okay. Number one, understand grace yourself. Number two, remember whose disciple they are. We're called to make disciples of who? Jesus. Yeah, not disciples of ourselves, disciples of Jesus. We want people to be increasingly dependent on God and not increasingly dependent on us. It's like this. We need to be in discipleship with, with new Christians, like a scaffold that people can kind of be built up against but is then taken away we don't want to be like a ship's mast that they're hauled up on and they literally can never you know fly or function without us so think scaffolding not ship's mast we help people for a season i have to say i get pretty nervous if we have too much focus in church on one-to-one -one discipleship or accountability partnerships i'm not knocking it completely 
but I, I'll just ignore you, mate. I, I have, I've get nervous because I found that kind of must have a one-to-one discipleship, must have an accountability partner. It can lead to a legalistic, rule-driven dependency forming on another person. All discipleship needs to point back to Jesus. The growth in maturity of another Christian is shown by their own growing relationship with God and their decreasing need of us. I must decrease, Jesus must increase. So we want them to ultimately to leave us and go and, if you like, have children of their own. Does, does, that, does that make sense? Okay. Third thing. Discern the true question or issue. So if you're involved with discipleship with someone and there's an issue in front of you you're dealing with or a question they're asking, that, that, that's great. And sometimes people ask us because they just don't know the answer and that's okay. But when we're in that conversation, that discipleship moment, let's try and discern what's going on. Are they confused? Are they fearful? Are they ignorant of scripture? Knowing what the issue is will make a real difference to what we tell them to do sometimes when people come and they say oh i've got this issue going on i'm not sure how to handle it honestly i think the best response half the time ought to be this why don't you go away study the bible for a couple of days come back and tell me what you think god's saying to you about that issue because often the issue they don't know what to do but they haven't actually gone to scripture and as i go away and read you might want to point them try this book and this book and this chapter and that chapter then you come back and you tell me what god has said to you rather than here's the answer uh, would that not be good discipleship for people? Yeah. Actually get them into the word of God. Let God speak to them. Let the spirit speak to them. But the, the bottom line often is people are asking the wrong question. What they're saying is, what can I get away with? Rather than saying, how can I live a life that most pleases God? How can I best maintain my walk with the Holy Spirit? I wonder if we all do that sometimes. What can I get away with? Number four. Number four. How are we, are we doing all right? Making sense? Number four. Think signposts, not boundaries. See, I really love the Sermon on the Mount, but what was Jesus doing there? Was he giving us the Christian rules? Was he laying down the law of Christ that we must follow? What about the New Testament letters? Don't they contain all sorts of instructions and rules to obey? Well, I'm going to tell you there's a huge difference between religious rules and the commands of Jesus and the New Testament. Because although both give us instructions on how to behave, they function very differently in two key ways. The first way they're different is this. When it comes to religious rules, the approach is, what must I do? What must I not do? So, example, tithing. The religious rule, I will give 10% and the rest is mine. I can tick the box. I've achieved what was required by the religious rule. Come to the New Testament, however, and Jesus tells us to be generous. We're instructed to be cheerful givers. Can I suggest there is no point of completion? There is no box that you can tick. We're just told to be generous, to, be, to give cheerfully, to give in faith. After all, it's all God's money. So the commands of Jesus and of the New Testament are like signposts that give shape and direction rather than boundary fences that we must stay within or not go beyond. So most New Testament commands are like that. So listen to some of the New Testament commands. How can you, you can never tick a box to say I've completed it. Love your enemies. Completed? No, it's, it's lifelong. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You, you can't tick a box to say job done. You, you can never do that. Uh, bear one another's burdens. I mean, think about it. The Old Testament, do not commit adultery. We can tick yes or no to that question. Jesus comes along though and says, yeah, and if you look at a woman lustfully, that's adultery in your heart as well. Oh, 
Suddenly there's no, I can't tick the box anymore, can we? We've got a problem now because Jesus just took it so much further. Or the Old Testament, do not murder. Tick, yes or no. Jesus says, yeah, and don't hate. And also pray for your enemies. Oh, and turn the other cheek. And finally, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Tick? No, no, we can't tick that box. So they cannot be achieved. A religious rule can be achieved. What Jesus is doing is signpoints posting us to how to live a life that pleases God. And the second thing is this rules can be kept. So some can be achieved, rules can be kept. So the New Testament commands can never be fully obeyed or completed. So a religious rule you can do fully, it's within your power to keep it. New Testament takes us way beyond that so we need grace to live this sort of life that i mean literally be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect i wonder if any of us have achieved that for even one second of our life <laughs> love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength have any of us ever managed that for five seconds in a row i wonder have we ever managed it no so we're, we're constantly we're constantly not living up to the call of jesus we'll never achieve it it's where grace comes in. That's the difference that grace makes. We're viewed as completely holy and righteous. Do you, I'm hoping this is making some sense to help you with, with people. You can't keep the rules. You can't make God happy by keeping the rules. You, you can't do it. It isn't possible. We need grace. We need grace. So let's not be setting the rules for people. Number five, have grace when people struggle. Sometimes people really do struggle and fail, and grace-filled discipleship recognises that. People won't always get it right. It's a process. The direction of travel that they're in is really key here. What way are people moving? It's not, not like how far have they come, but how, how far are they moving? And, and sometimes in church life, people do frustrate us with their slow progress. And, and sometimes we just have to be pleased, you know, if their walk with God is more of a stumble or a crawl. And I remember C.J. Mahaney saying once, said, sometimes I'm just glad if people are leaning in the right direction. <laughs> and I, I thought, uh, <laughs> and it, can be, it can be like that with people. We just need to, to make, you know, be thinking direction of travel and, and have grace. And I've found that it can take years for stuff to come out. Someone can be a Christian for 20, 30 years and suddenly this massive issue comes to their surface of, of their life. And you'd have thought, surely this was dealt with right years ago. Uh, people can surprise us. I tell you what, Christians of long standing can surprise us with the level of sin they can jump into sometimes. You ever found that you think, I would never have imagined for a minute that this person would have gone down that line. We need to have grace for people. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It would be such a shame if there was anyone in our churches struggling with an issue of sin who just felt, I've been a Christian too long to ever be able to admit to that one. Because they're going to be stuck with it, aren't they, for the rest of their Christian life, right? But I sometimes wonder if that is a reality. I can't own up to that. I've been around too long. No, 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 no. Come on. Understand the difference that grace makes. We need to have grace for people. Number six really helpful this one focus on identity good christian discipleship focuses on teaching people a lot about what jesus has done for them and who they now are in christ things like this ready you are adopted isn't that good you are accepted accepted you are forgiven how about that you are called you are chosen you are loved and here's one people struggle with you are holy. You are holy. You're a saint. You're sanctified. God loves you just as you are. You are you're a child of God. 
You're part of God's family. He's your father and he's for you. You are righteous in God's sight. And when we start to teach people these truths, in response to that, we can then call people to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. But that's no good if they don't know the calling they've received. I mean, think about that young girl my, my, that I talked about earlier, this young girl who'd become a Christian. She's been told the rules. I wonder if anyone had taken the time to tell her also, you are loved, you are adopted, you are accepted, you are a child of God, you are holy in his sight. He will never let you go. He will always be with you. He will always provide your needs. He is for you. I wonder. I wonder if they'd spent more time doing that than going, well, he's not married to you. That's not acceptable. Then... And I tell you what, can I just add this as well? In our culture, this is going to be even more necessary because mum and dad with two kids and, and, you know, and a nice car, then they're not about to come and get saved because they're not out there anymore. They're not out there anymore. So when you understand that, when I went to school, I can remember the one girl in my class whose parents had got divorced and she was quite tearful and we were told to be nice to her. All of my friends at school have mum and dad who were married and, and lived at home, uh, except this one girl. Her name is Elizabeth. There you go. I can still remember that detail. And now, most of the children, who my wife's a teacher, most of the children uh, do not have mum and dad living together at home. It's the unusual situation. If you take the ones that are married, actually married, it's even less we're reaching out into a culture that are not living out the nuclear Christian family that we would like to see. So what are you going to do, guys? Are we going to write off? Well, they're living together. We'll never see them saved. Are we going to write off the whole of the homosexual community from the gospel? Simply because if they come to church, we'll be jumping down their throats immediately because they're out of line with scripture and that's not okay. What are we going to do? Or do we believe that actually the grace of God is for all people and can save all people? And guess what? Our churches are going to get pretty messy if we are really going to embrace the difference that grace makes. But I would also add this, until we get to the point that religious people are going, what on earth are you doing hanging out with these people? Then we're not really like Jesus, who got in trouble for hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and responded by saying the prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. I just think we've got to get this, my friends. This is a messy, messy world out there, and we live in our Christian bubble too often. And some of you I know that work in, in the workplace, will, you know, you'll be very aware of the difference between the lifestyle of your colleagues and what you find in church. But grace needs to bridge that gap, or we're giving up on this nation. Does that make sense? Okay. So, focus on identity is really important. Once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. I've got one little example here as well. I mean, when Paul is addressing the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians, he deals with the issue in 1 Corinthians 6 of men in the church going and sleeping with female temple prostitutes. Yep, that was going on. There were guys in the church who given their life to Christ. They're popping down the local temple and having sex with the prostitutes. What does Paul do? What does he say? Does he say, but the rules say, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery? No. He doesn't do that. If there was ever a moment in the New Testament for Paul to say, thou shalt not commit adultery, that was the moment. He doesn't do it. What does he do? This is what he does. He does call them out on their sin, but he does it not by pointing to the law, but by pointing to who they are in Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Their new identity. Am I going to take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? 
Never. What's his call? Remember who you are in Jesus. You're the body of Jesus. Don't do that to Jesus. Can you see the difference between that? The rules say that who you are in Christ. Christ calls us to live out of our new identity, which will always result in a holiness. But it's a holiness rooted not in fear, but rooted in our relationship with Jesus. So knowing who we are in Christ is important. Last one. And then Simpson's going to come. So Simpson, start to make your way over, mate. Number seven, trust the work of the Holy Spirit. If someone is genuinely saved and genuinely born again, God changes them. He really does do that. And we need to trust him. I'll give you a couple of examples of this, right? When uh, we had our first baby, we had the joy that our midwife came to faith in Christ. A lovely lady called Anne. It was such a thrill. She became a Christian. And I remember the last time she was around the house before she sort of signed off the baby, she said, oh, I've stopped reading my Stephen King books. Now, I, I know, I'm not, not, particularly, not going to rail against Stephen King, but here's what had happened. Because no one had mentioned it to her, but she loved Stephen King, the author. Some of his books, a little bit supernatural. You know what I mean. And uh, she'd been reading them. She had a whole library of everything he'd ever written. And suddenly, after she became a Christian, whenever she read them, she felt uncomfortable. And so she threw the whole lot away. Nobody ever told her to do it, except the Holy Spirit. Another example, a friend of mine who became a Christian not so long ago, I'm chatting to him, and I asked him before he got baptised, I said, what difference has been coming a Christian made to you? And he said, oh, I've stopped getting drunk, I've stopped drinking so much. And I had absolutely no clue, but in the background of his life, there was a serious issue where he would have been drinking seven, eight pints a night. No one ever spoke to him about drinking because nobody knew it was an issue as well, but the Holy Spirit did. And he stopped and it completely changed his life. God makes a difference. Laying down rules can produce good results in the short term. On the outside, it looks like people are growing in their faith and learning to follow Jesus. But what's going on in the inside is this. They're learning to follow rules. And I tell you what, following rules and living under grace may look the same for a season, but in the long run, only one will go the distance. And I say it again, sometimes new believers who we work hard to win fall away because they cannot keep up with the rules they're being taught. And if that happens, can I suggest we have not made the right sort of disciples? And sometimes I think it happens because we haven't got faith that the Holy Spirit is going to do what he does. Don't misunderstand me. God is holy. Sin is sin. We are called to repentance. We are called to holy living. That is the call of Christ on each one of us and on everyone that comes to faith in him. But our ongoing life as Christians was never meant to be learn the rules and follow them. It's always meant to be know who you are in Jesus and follow him. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Live out of your new identity in Christ. And when we point people to these things, we can get the lasting holiness and I love it when I see God deal with an issue in someone's life that we never even knew about. I mean, in summary, let me say this. Grace-filled Christian discipleship will not result in rule-keeping carbon copies of ourselves. It will not result in dull, joyless, uptight religious people. Instead, it will result in people becoming more and more like Jesus, more like he created them to be. And for some people, it will mean that their way of following Jesus might look very different to our own and that's okay this is simpson simpson's one of the elders at grace church i had the joy of meeting this guy when he was much much younger than he is now <laughs> there you go thank you very much 
So I'm going to give you a very condensed version of my testimony and the difference grace has made in my life. Just to tell you a little bit about my background, I come from a very close family of 10, seven sisters, two brothers, and we were brought up in Liverpool. Well, I was brought up in Liverpool with them, hence why often you've seen the Liverpool shirts worn on stage. Um, my dad was a pastor of a church which belonged to a Pentecostal movement, so I grew up very much ascribing to a lot of what Steve has spoken about, knowing God, law, and rules, but not grace. We would turn up to church very smart, women in hats and skirts, no trousers were allowed for the ladies. I remember always smart, smart suit, shirt and tie. We'd have to sit in silence and not talk to anybody until after the service. I broke that rule regularly. In 1994, we moved down to Sussex. I, mo I moved down to Sussex for work. And for four months, I kept traveling back home to Oxford, which was where my family had been for two years after moving from Liverpool. To cut a long story short, someone invited me to come down to a church in a little village called Calfold. I'd never been to a church outside our black Pentecostal movement. So I was very intrigued and went along. The first thing I noticed as I walked in was I was the only black person and that everyone else was pleased to see me. <laughs> and people kept wanting to hug me. Inside of me, I was thinking, what the heck have I just come to? Is this some sort of cult? Then the worship started and I can honestly say I've never been in anything so bizarre, yet so amazing, real, passionate, and moving. You see, where I come from, it was, always, it was all about singing in time, in a set place, ordered speaking, praying, you know, praying when asked to. While at Calvall, you know, it was, it, was, it was just different. People were praying out, bringing, skip, bringing scripture, and what I now know, prophetic words and speaking in tongues. I, part, it partly, I partly felt scared. Part of me was scared. But I was also amazed at what I now know was the Holy Spirit moving in power. I felt God speak to me clearly and say this. This is where I'll teach you how to worship me and where you will experience my grace and love in your life. See, where I was brought up, we were taught about the Holy Spirit and how to please God by obeying, and that was fine on one level. At Calfold Christian Fellowship, I was taught about having a relationship with Jesus and how to experience his grace and love, something that had never been shown or taught before. This church was not just about talking about it, but they were living it and modeling it. And I was seeing the fruit of that on every level. So we now fast forward two years down the road, right? I'm, I'm now heavily involved in worship and in leading the youth work, etc., etc. And I'm now experiencing the grace in its fullness. But you know that 
you can take it the other way. All right? Steve often said. You see, before I found out about grace, I was too scared not to live by law. Hell was real, and I was scared I'd be going there if I did anything wrong. Now under grace, I thought, wow, I had the freedom to practically do what I wanted. And as long as I repented for doing wrong, it was okay. So then girls got introduced. I met a young lady who was not a Christian, but would frequently come to church with me as I still wanted to show that I was doing the right thing. I entered into a relationship with her and out of the relationship she became pregnant. How could I possibly hide that from God, my family, my elders, and the church? Can you all hear me? Yeah, yeah cool. This was the only time in my life that I felt really alone. I had a mentor and a pastor who was my spiritual father and one of the most amazing men you could ever meet. His name was Alan Johnson. He cared and loved me for the two years of me being in the church and he taught me about God's love and grace and I felt that I'd betrayed him and betrayed everything that he taught me. When I eventually built up the courage to tell him, I could tell that he was upset about the situation, but wise enough to know that people make mistakes. What happened next was the biggest act of love and grace that I'd ever experienced in my life. He didn't just ignore the problem or kick me out of, of being in the fellowship, but embraced it and led me through this difficult time. The church got around myself and the young lady and lavished love and grace over and over and over again. They brought discipline, as was expected, but they did it in a gentle and biblical way. I know that what I had done had caused hurt and pain for a lot of people, but Alan pastorally knew the pain that our Father in Heaven felt, and I saw that. And he also understood how graceful uh, grace life is lived and he modeled that superbly. Because of what Alan and the church had modeled, I wanted to live a life now that was pleasing to God and be in a relationship with him that was real. I can truly say, because of the way that Alan and the church modeled grace, I am the person that you see here today. Also, the lady in question became a Christian and we now have five children and have been together 20 years. Yeah. We have four daughters, and two years ago, God showed his wisdom even more and, grant, and granted me with a son, who is now two. Um, the child in question that um, um, was born at that time, she's, she, her name's Georgia and she's 20 years old and she's going into her last year of uni and she's serving at West Point in the threes and she's also helping on the Clarity magazine and she's also a worshipper herself. Me and Mal understood and we understand the difference that grace has made to us. So we choose to want to live and have a relationship with our Father 
and be and be an example and a role model to others needing to know God's grace. Or we could have just put him out of church membership. <laughs> and, and you laugh. <laughs> but I say it again. Or we could have just put him out of church membership. I, 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 just, I just say the difference that grace makes is, is huge. I hope we've been able to, to bless you a little bit with that this morning. Seven principles. Understand grace yourself. We spent a lot of time on that. Remember whose disciple people are. This guy here was a disciple of Jesus, and Alan knew that. Not a disciple of Alan, he was a disciple of Jesus. It was Jesus who'd been let down. It was Jesus who'd been ignored, and Alan was able to steward and shepherd this situation through. Deci whose disciple are they? Absolutely crucial. Discern the true question. And in this case here, what was going on with the issue, the true question or issue? It was actually a misunderstanding of grace. A lack of understanding of who I am in Christ and what, what, it means, what it means for me. Think signposts, not boundaries. And what a joy to have seen this guy come through and actually see the family built. And, and they are lovely kids. And have grace when people struggle. I think Alan demonstrated that well. Focus on identity and trust the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure you're going to be blessed on Saturday and Sunday when this guy's leading worship with a, you know, with a Chichester band and stuff. See what the Holy Spirit has done from a messy start isn't that good yeah. wonderful now i said we would we would finish with with q a and with prayer i i think time wise q a might be gone but that, that doesn't mean we can't um you know chat afterwards if that makes sense so i'll be here if you want to chat i'm around and and that, that's fine um you know one at a time um if there are any questions but why don't we pray together would that be all right and and i think we should pray for ourselves and for our churches and Actually, I'm, let's stand together. As you know, as I'm saying that, I'm aware. I just feel a little prompt, actually, and I, I always want to listen to those. Um, so I, I'm going to pray. Simpson, you're going to pray, so don't go anywhere. Um, obviously, if you need to disappear, God bless you. But we, we won't take ages. Um, I'm conscious it is 12. It's one minute to 12. So officially, we finish in one minute. So God, but if you need to go, that's fine. We'll give it five to pray, though, if that's all right. And, and so feel free to you know, stick around or not. Here's the thing, I, I just feel as I've shared this, there might be one or two situations that people are aware of where actually you're thinking, goodness me, I wish I could have handled that differently. And it might even be live situations where you're thinking, I need to handle that differently. But the prompt that I feel for those that are in current situations is not too late, go for it. For past situations, you'll have to use discernment here, but I also feel Lord might say again, and it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. I think there may be one or two situations you people here, you'll know, it won't be for everyone, but you'll know if it's you because God will be speaking to you. Is that all right? You'll know it. Don't think too hard. You'll know if it's you because on the inside you'll know. If that is the situation for some, and with, with discernment and wisdom, I think there are some where maybe it's going back to people and actually it begins with saying, I'm sorry I didn't represent Jesus to you. And I want to do better. And actually it begins not, you, the new approach begins with actually a repentance on your part and an apology to the person concerned. It's not too late. I think there are situations Jesus wants to win back even from out of this room today. 
Okay, is there, so I'll leave that there with you. Um, you know, if you feel that resonates with you, that's that's between you and God. If not, just ignore it. That's fine too. Um, let's let's pray, shall we? Let's just wherever you are across the room, let's just reach out to the Lord, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would come now and do some work in in people's lives. The the seed that has been sown this morning, may it produce good fruit. Father, I pray all across this room that you would prevent the birds from snatching away. I pray, Lord God, that the worries of life and church life would not choke it out. Lord, would you dig out the stones of our hard hearts that need digging out and allow the roots to go down deeply. Lord, I thank you that our salvation is entirely by grace. And I pray now you would help us to receive that for ourselves more fully. But Lord, more than that, we want to be those who make grace-filled disciples. We want our churches to be safe places. Lord, I pray there would not be one person in any of our communities who would not be able to attend our churches because of background, because of past, because of the messy life they're living today or the messy life they've lived in the past. Father, we, we, well, Lord, I pray, we pray, Lord, would you help us to create cultures in our churches where the doors are open, where we can genuinely say, all welcome, come as you are. Lord, we want people to come to Christ. Lord, in Jesus, in your day, the, the outcast, Lord, the Samaritans, and you met with them. Lord, that woman at the well, what are you doing talking to her? Lord Jesus, you saved the whole village. Lord, I, I think of the Samaritans. We think of the, the woman caught in adultery. Lord Jesus, you transform. We think of, of Mary Magdalene with seven demons that you cast out. And Lord Jesus, there she was, anointing your body, looking at one of the first eyewitnesses of your resurrection, telling, telling Peter and the disciples. Lord, the, the, the tax collectors, thank you, Lord, for Matthew. Thank you for him, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that you said the prostitutes were entering the kingdom of heaven. Lord Jesus, you were at work. Lord, I pray now for our culture. Lord God, it's not tax collectors and Samaritans who are on the outside. Lord, I pray you would help us, O oh Lord, to breach the boundaries, to cross the boundaries, to make disciples, Lord, of every... Lord, it's not every nation, it's every ethnos, every people group, every type of person. Lord, we've got many in our towns, many in our cities and villages, Lord God, who are, who are, who are in cultures that we just are not connecting with as churches, that we don't know how to help us, Lord, to make disciples of Jesus who will follow us, even though their following might look different than our own and help us all with those within our churches we don't want to be laying down rules lord i pray for parents right across this room help us with our kids father we don't want them to be brought up just to see christianity as a bunch of rules to follow we want our kids to know jesus for themselves lord we want our children to follow you and to love you help us lord to get this right i pray help us to know grace and walk in grace and model grace and lord jesus help us i pray right across this room let your spirit come and anoint each one of us to be a grace-filled disciple maker i pray thank you lord simpson's gonna pray yeah yeah father god i thank you for everything that you've done just in my life alone lord jesus and i thank you now lord jesus that it's because of your grace that we can stand here today oh god and just experience you now lord jesus i pray for everyone now lord jesus that just have followed the rules now lord jesus that um so seem to weigh us down and laws and things now lord jesus that it's not about serving you but lord it's about being in a relationship with you father god and i pray oh god if there's any chains that are just holding people down that you would break that right now lord jesus 
Oh God, that we'd be set free to live in a free relationship with you. Oh God, wanting to live for you because of your love, because of what you've done for us on the cross. Now, Lord Jesus, you have set us free. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you just continue over and over again to lavish your love and your grace upon us. May we, now Lord Jesus, experience your love and grace even more and more as we just worship you. As we're called to worship. As we're called to adore your name, Father God. As we're called to lift you up, Lord Jesus. Father God, pour down your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord Jesus, even now, even across this weekend now, Lord Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit again and again and again. Father God, I thank you for all that you are doing and all that you're going to continue to do in our lives. In your name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. If we're going to be equipped to see thousands of lives transformed, hundreds of churches, tens of nations, then uh, we need to be a graceful church, don't we? So this, today we've had graceful discipleship. Tomorrow, same place, same time. Steve's going to be back. Graceful leadership, and it is for anyone. You know, if you can lead your dog down the path, <laughs> this is for you. So make sure you be here. Can we, you know, for opening up about personal life and for sharing, so brilliant. Can we just thank these, these guys? Wonderful. Don't forget to go and get your kids. They'll be in their groups and uh, have a great rest of the day.